Welcome to today's podcast, Game of Drones, addressing the evolving drone security threat. The increased use of commercial and consumer drones has opened a Pandora's box of safety, legal, and regulatory issues. The recent drone attack that shut down Gatwick Airport for a day and a half exemplifies the frustrating potential of drones and underscores how vulnerable even sophisticated aviation networks are to drone interference. As drone use grows, they will present a significant and ever-evolving security threat. With any accessible space, sports stadiums, critical infrastructure, airports, prisons, and offices will require a counter-drone plan to detect and respond to potential airborne threats. As a result, entrepreneurs, corporations, and government officials have proposed a range of ways to protect these spaces, and an array of anti-drone technologies are now available in the marketplace. In today's podcast, RAIN founder David Lawrence sits down with Joe Galasso and Greg Webchenak of Advanced Electronic Solutions to discuss a number of issues related to drone threats and drone technology. AES provides integrated security, fire detection, intercom, datacom, and DAS systems, and since 1994, they have been one of New York City's largest privately held systems integrators. Joe recently retired as the Senior Vice President, Director of Security and Life Safety at SL Green, where he oversaw all facets of SL Green's comprehensive security and life safety initiatives. With a career spanning 20 years in law enforcement, he joins the company from the United States Department of the Treasury, where he served as Special Agent in Charge of the Criminal Investigation Field Office in Boston. Greg has over 25 years experience in telecommunications and emerging technologies, specifically in the areas of wireless communications, cellular, satellite, and Wi-Fi. For the past 18 months, he has worked with drone technologies concentrating on security, detection, and protection issues. And with that, I'll turn it over to Rain's founder, David Lawrence. David? Joe and Greg, first, uh, thanks. It's a great honor to have you for this uh, podcast, a highly uh, topical uh, issue. And uh, it'll be great just to sort of hear your thoughts about where technology is leading in the space of uh, not just drone aircrafts, but I'll, I'll broaden it out to uh, some of the satellites and the innovative companies that are launching satellites, how this intersects with the management of risk on a commercial safety, national security level, types of challenges, and also more broadly to address in this podcast is the pace at which technology often exceeds regulatory oversight and the full understanding of the of the uh, of, of the attendant risks and benefits of new technology. So, Greg, maybe I'll start with uh, a little bit about sort of your involvement uh, with this important space and some of the efforts uh, out of your company. Okay. Um, about a year and a half ago, I mean, we expanded our, our product line, and we were looking at, at other areas and, and risks that that take place in, in, in the marketplace and in, in business, and drone kept popping up. I mean, drones, drones, drones. So we started looking into into drones, and uh, I've been doing this, like I said, for, for about a year and a half now, and drone detection and countermeasures that can be used and how we can, and how we integrate them into the business and how, we, how businesses integrate and assess their security risks. And can you give us maybe a couple of examples of uh, both the proactive use of drone aircraft to help in the management of 
security risks, but also on a defensive measure, uh, how companies, you know, begin to need to think about uh, drone aircraft and, and the potential threats, uh, everything to their corporate activity. So one of the first things that brought, was brought to our attention in this was um, the actual, it was a, a, a police department that was looking for an answer because right after, a couple, a year and a half or two years ago, Andrea Merkel was buzzed by a drone at one of her speeches. And this department sees a lot of foreign dignitaries come into their area, and they were looking at, at how can we figure this out? How can we see what's coming into our space? How, what do we do about it if something does happen? So we we got involved, and you know we showed them you know what is in the marketplace for detection, and and how how we we can see what's coming into the air airspace. They all have unique footprints, so we can identify the drone as it comes into the space. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and you know, at that time, the industry was really in its infancy, and all we could do was see if something was coming into the airspace. It has come a long way in a year and a half, because now not only can we see what's coming into the airspace, we can track up the five individual drones in the airspace, and we can triangulate and bring us back to within 100 feet of the operator. So you can't touch the aircraft, you can't touch the drones, okay? That, you know, and the FAA protects them. But what we can do is we can isolate who the pilot is, and we can have law enforcement or security at the, at, at the pilot, because they can be up to a mile away from this thing and flying it. And it's not, you know, they don't have to be standing on the ground and be visible, they can, you know, Software allows you to use your, te your 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 smartphone to plug into it, and you can, can your eyes are now the camera that are on board this this drone, and you're flying freely from a mile away. I mean, they fly 40 miles an hour, have a three mile radius, and a 45 minute fly time, so they can do a lot of damage in a short period of time. They can record a lot of things. They can carry packages of up to five pounds, depending on the size of the unit. I mean. Uh, the recording devices, the cameras on them, they're, they're capable of a lot of things. And that's on the security side of it, looking how do we protect and how do we defend our clients. So, Joe, because of your background at uh, SL Green and previously with the federal government, as you think about drone aircraft, maybe you could, you know, talk about some of the positives and how it's um, how drone aircrafts are being used, what they were designed for, beyond the hobbyist. And then talk about some of the issues that you and Greg and the types of risks that you and Greg were advising clients about uh, on the defensive side. Okay. So, obviously, there are a lot of advantages to autonomous drone, uh, drones. And this industry, according to industry sources, <clears throat> is expected to top $82 billion by 2025. So, we're just scratching the surface. Uh, drones have a lot of positive um, impact. They can save lives when used by uh, first responders. In natural and man-made disasters, they can be, be positioned to survey damage, locate stranded and injured victims, and assess ongoing threats. Uh, as a matter of fact, during the uh, aftermath of the storms in Puerto Rico, uh, Verizon and AT&T actually used them to uh, get their cell service back online. 
Uh, as we mentioned, they can support law enforcement and security companies. They can contribute to safe infrastructure maintenance and management. Just picture flying over buildings or bridges where before that had to be done manually and uh, how time consuming that would be. Uh, and they give media access to hard to reach places. Um, unfortunately, you have a tremendous amount of risk now associated with this, especially as they become more ubiquitous. Uh, there's no better example of the dangers posed by drones than their battlefield used by ISIS. Uh, in Iraq and Syria, uh, the Islamic State has been using off-the-shelf drones for surveillance for over two years. And over the last year, they started weaponizing these drones. Grenades and other small explosives are also often attached and rigged to drop during flight. U.S. authorities, uh, obviously, then are becoming increasingly concerned about ISIS-inspired terrorist drone attacks on public events and critical infrastructure like nuclear power plants. Uh, and we've all talked about the recent intrusion into airspace at Gatwick Airport in London and Teterboro in New Jersey. And this risk will only grow as payload capacity of these drones increases. Uh, another thing that we have to be uh, on the lookout for is hacking. Drones help hackers overcome physical barriers. Drones, drones can easily and covertly reach areas that seem hard to reach and are well protected. Uh, imagine a scenario where a drone is used to penetrate the perimeter of an electrical distribution station and disrupt a smart grid. This hacker drone scenario, by the way, may seem like science fiction until a maintenance crew finds a drone lodged in the air duct above your data center. True story. Uh, another risk, potential risk we have is uh, surveillance and corporate espionage. Uh, I'm continually surprised by drone concerns I hear from customers. For example, I did not expect financial services organizations to be as worried about drones as they are, but I'm hearing quite the opposite. They fear drones could be used for surveillance and uh, to gather intelligence about merger and acquisition activity, results shared at board, board meetings, or even how cash is transported between uh, bank branches, not to mention what I previously mentioned, the threat of hacking. And finally, uh, the risk of drone accidents. Um, in addition to the intentional threats I talked about, uh, last year we had a drone crash into the 40th floor of the Empire State Building. The NYPD's aviation unit now gets as many as 10 calls a day about rogue drones in New York City, uh, most of which is a no-fly zone. In uh, late September of last year, a civilian-operated drone hit a U.S. Army Black Hawk helicopter flying near Staten Island. Fortunately, no one was injured. But the very next month, a drone crashed into a commercial plane in Canada. So as you can see, while there's a lot of advantageous uses for drones, these are some of the threats and risks that we are faced with. It's a great overview, Joe. And let me ask you and Greg, just in terms of the regulatory scheme and how this activity is monitored, how regulations are enforced, where are we in terms of the government response, as well as the international coordination? Okay. Each, each government handles it differently. Um, on the military side, we have the U.S. Department of Defense uses uh, drone security. They deploy it all over the place, okay? And their response is much different than what the civilian response is. They see any drone activity, they're taking it out immediately. 
no questions asked, no worries, it's gone. And a $400 drone can carry a payload of three to five pounds. You put three to five pounds of plastics on this thing, you don't care if you lose it or not, you just crash it into a military place, you're going to in invoke a, a whole lot of damage. So, you know, in, in Europe, there are no regulations protect protecting the drone. They can take them down via jamming. They can take them down via uh, laser. They can take them down with the laser actually disables the uh, the onboard computer and it, and it causes the drone to crash. They can take them down that way. They can net them. You know, and they can do all kinds of things to protect their airspace that that we currently cannot do. Um, so, you know, to that regard, on on the on the military side, there's lots you can do. On the commercial side. What you can do is you can protect your assets by detecting the drone and finding out where it's coming from, who the pilot is, and then deploy assets to, to deal directly with the pilot because he's flying into a regulated space. Now, everybody thinks that we own the 300 feet above our head. We don't. We just The FAA just doesn't control it, okay? You don't own the airspace above your head. That's... That's nearing that's a fallacy. Um, so, you know, then somebody flying over your property technically isn't breaking the law. But if he's got a recording device on there and you've got a campus environment, and why is he there? What's he doing there? You're, you're now trespassing because you're buzzing buildings or you're hearing it's not just an in and out 15 second flight. You're in there for a period of time. You're obviously not in there by mistake. So, you know, with detecting where the pilot is, and you send your security or law enforcement to, you know, speak this, speak to this individual. First time around, they're going to warn him, let him know he's in a protected area. Second time around, they're arresting him, and they'll arrest him for trespassing. Now, Dave, as to future regulations, you mentioned that earlier. Um, the first set of regulations that came out from the uh, FAA, uh, and basically the rules were. Um, instituted June 21st, 2016, which many of us are going to remember as the official start of the drone industry. Uh, they were very restrictive. But what we're seeing now, while the first set of rules were overly restrictive, once the industry has demonstrated that operations can be accomplished safely in many different uses, these rules are going to change. And the lobbyists are currently spending a lot of money uh, working on getting these rules changed. And I think over time, the FAA will start seeing requests for waivers, and the current thinking is that this will trigger the FAA to change their rulings. So while, again, while they're overly restrictive now, as these become more marketable, we're going to see a loosening of these regulations. Um, the lobbyists are spending a lot of money right now to get these um, rules changed. So that's a helpful overview. Let me, let me just backtrack this a little bit. And uh, for our audience, number one, are there currently any restrictions on manufacturers in terms of their production of drone aircraft, in terms of speed, in terms of size, in terms of um, the amount that they can carry? No. I mean, there's classifications of drones. You have small drones, which, you know, now carry 4K cameras that are considered a toy, and they avoid the FAA regulations. Once you get into the you know, the, the, the larger drones, um, 
speed capabilities, some of them of nearly 100 miles an hour. They have infrared cameras on them. They have flight times in the, in, in the 40 minute range. And in a small aircraft traveling at 50 miles an hour, you won't be able to see it. You know? And that's one of the things, you won't hear it, you won't see it. Um, so most of the regulations, you know, they're always thinking of the good. So they didn't want anybody harming anybody, you know, anybody's drones. You know, the, 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 the thought process when drones were first making it into the marketplace in 2016 was going to be primarily recreational use. And those that are fighting for deregulation right now are the alphabets, which is Google and Amazon. they got a lot of money behind them, and they want to use autonomous drones for, the, for good purposes. They want to deliver packages to your door. They want to deliver food to your door. They want to map for, uh, for buildings. They want to do all these wonderful things. But with that, they don't, they don't see the risk side of it, which is what we're looking at is the more they deregulate it, they need to deregulate it in a number of levels. Not only that, they need to be able to allow law enforcement to protect the general public from these things. And right now, they can't. So, Greg, the takeaway here is, number one, um, there are no restrictions in terms of the type of drones that could be manufactured. There's well, you can't use a military drone, but you know, in the commercial sector or the private sector, you know, in the drones in there, you know, in they, they range in size up to about, you know, and you've got this one that's a fixed wing aircraft. It's got maybe a 50-inch wing spread on it. It can fly 70 miles an hour. It can carry a, a payload of six pounds. And it's equipped with with cram, and there's no restrictions on what this thing can do. Can you get a military drone and use it privately? Heck no. That they can't sell. Okay, they regulate on what can be sold to the general public. Okay, and the general public, the the recreation, what they classify as recreational drones, is what everybody can get quite easily. In terms of if if you and Joe were to walk out today and say. I got a great idea for an air for a drone aircraft. I want to design it, and you're able to raise the capital around it. There's nothing from uh, nothing preventing you from getting into that business. Okay. No, there's nothing preventing us to getting into that business. The only requirement on the flip side of that is the individual buying it is supposed to register it with the FAA and become licensed to fly it. Okay, and in terms of the restrictions on the sale and the use that is largely right now being sort of left to the seller and to the buyer in terms of registration and things like that. And the point I'm trying I'm trying to get to here is that the FAA is always focused on air safety. They're not necessarily focused on how the aircraft can be used and the security risks, whether these are security issues for companies, communities, or the broader, you know, national interest. And so what I'm hearing from both of you is that this is still largely a space where regulations and agency oversight have not necessarily kept up with the collateral risks that could be posed by this technology the uses to which the technology might be put and the technology falling, falling into the wrong hands. That's correct. Here's the thing. When you go on the FAA site and you want to, regi and you want to you register your drone 
and then you start going for your license, there are a list of things that you can and cannot do. You're not allowed to fly after sundown. Okay, so if you've got a drone flying into your airspace after sundown, why is that happening? You can't fly within so many feet of a building, and each there are local laws to you know, to address how close you can come to a structure. That's not a, a set standard by the FAA, but there are standards set by local municipalities on how close you can come to it. But the sheer volume that has happened you know, since 2016, there are over 600,000 registered drones with the FAA. Yet the industry reports there's well over a million have been sold in the United States alone. So you got 400,000 of them out there with, with just running rampant. So the takeaway from this is that the registration of these aircrafts is left to the, to the buyer. Obviously, it's been observed by some, but what you're also suggesting is that over 40% of the actual aircraft sold have not been registered with the FAA. And you have a regulatory and enforcement scheme that has, I'll use the word patch, which is a patchwork or quilt, um, some of which extends down to local, state, or municipality levels. But that by and large, the potential risks and potential uses to which this technology you know, could be used have not been fully appreciated or reflected in regulatory oversight, both in terms of this, the development of the product, who gets to buy it, the controls around the uses, and of course the attendant risks that could be posed, whether it's to the IP of companies, material, non-public information, but also safety, security, infrastructure, security, et cetera. Joe, do I am I summarizing yeah. this appropriately? That, that, I mean, that's correct. The, the problem with all of this, Dave, is if you intend to use these drones for nefarious purposes, you don't really care what the regulations say. And, and that's why we're concerned, because the people who are going to do harm Whatever the FAA comes up with, it's irrelevant because they're not going to follow them anyway. As, as Greg said, 40% are not even registered. And that's why it's important for law enforcement and individual companies to monitor their airspace. Because at the end of the day, someone who's looking to do damage is going to do damage. It's like gun control. Someone who's looking to commit mass murder, they don't care about the gun, the gun laws in their respective city or state. They're going to buy the gun illegally, and they're going to do what they need to do. So we're concerned not with the people who are following the regulations, but with the people who have nefarious purposes and are not going to follow the regulations. So let's, let's talk about some of the things that companies actually can do, uh, you know, in the interim, while the government hopefully is beginning to get its act together, and even if the act... They, they do get some things together, whether it's through regulations, enforcement, um, whether it's equipment and technology, you know, in the hands of law enforcement. Obviously, there's still some things that companies have to do to protect themselves. So maybe you can unpack that for us. Sure. Absolutely. Well, the first thing that we suggest when we're talking to, to a potential client 
about drone risk is let's find out if you have a, dr a drone problem. And what we do is we will, we will install a sensor that detects drone activity in the area. All it's going to do is just record raw data. So many drones have crossed into your area. Here's the time periods in which they did it. Here's the days of the week that they did it. Here's certain times of the day where there's peak usage, peak flights. And then, you know, then we sit down with the client. We leave, this, we leave this thing up for 60 days. And we come back and we sit down with the client and say, look, over the past 60 days, you've had 100 flights into your property. Okay. Then we look at the times. We see, we look at their area overall. Okay, you're in a semi-residential area. You have a park here. Every Saturday and Sunday, you got a great deal of activity. Right away, that tells us it's recreational use. There's nothing to worry about. Every day, though, between three and five, you have activity over your site. Kids get home from school at three to five. What else happens between three and five? People leave. Who's leaving this establishment? Then we look and see if there's any other events that correlate with peak usage or peak times in which there's been flights into their property. We look and see if there's been any announcements from their company as to a merger, acquisition, a sell-off, or a major thing about to happen in the company's life. And we look to see if there's been an uptick in activity. And then we say, you have a drone problem. What can you do? Then their question to us is, what can we do? Okay, and what we can do is, we can set up another, a, a, a sensor program that will not only let them see the drones, it'll track the drones, and it'll bring us back using the, the drone, using the, the sensors that are on board to triangulate and bring us back to the operator. Okay. And that's, that's the only steps that they can do, quote unquote, legally. All right. Um, all well, Greg, I, I also assume that once you have that information, the, you know, to the extent that it could be of relevance, the coordination with law enforcement authorities that certain aircraft activity has been detected. Here's, you know, to best, you know, knowledge possible, we're pinpointing who is or where where the actors are responsible, and obviously to the extent that local regulations or, or national regulations are being violated. That can be reported to the authorities. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then also there are times where, you know, and as Joe mentioned before, I mean, a drone has crashed into into an area. You know, they have SIM cards on them. Actually, it's right. not the SIM card; it's the uh, it's a recording device and card. Don't if, if you ever come across, don't throw away that drone you just got. Pull the card out right. because it now contains all kinds of information. Like most of these idiots took a picture of their house. They took a picture of their car, making sure. To, and law enforcement has tracked down these individuals by from a crashed drone. Because sometimes, you know, because they do have short, you know, overall a short flight time, less than a half an hour in general. And if somebody's a little too far out and they're not paying attention or they didn't have a fully charged battery, they may lose their drone. So part of this is not just, I assume, uh, Joe, not just attribution, but also understanding the rationale behind why certain aircraft might be deployed in certain areas at given points in time. That's correct, Dave. You know, any one of our clients that has a, an R&D site, we always worry, we, we, we throw the worry at them. You know, who's watching? And, they're all, and the response is always, they can't see in the building. No, but they can see outside. They can see who's coming and going. Well, we are in, 
What, what do they want to know who these people are for? Unfortunately, the only restriction on these drones is the person's imagination who's flying it. Yeah. They, they right. can be used in so many different ways. It, it, it's, a, it's a shame because they can do so much good, but boy, can they do some damage. And also, look, I, I, have, I have thought about this issue. I do find some direct parallels with uh, the question of cybersecurity and why information um, and access, improper access to information is so important. Among the additional um, elements of drone aircraft may be to get information that could provide leverage for purposes of blackmail or extortion on certain people um, who maybe, you know, whether it's in their personal lives or their professional lives or what have you, um, why that can be uh, important. And, and Joe, I know, yeah. go ahead, Joe. Yeah. Well, that's a good analogy. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, we're not where we are with cybersecurity. I think everyone right now recognizes the threat of cybersecurity. I don't think we're there yet with the drone technology. Uh, in terms of uh, to the same to the same level, and that's what we're trying to get people to understand that this is a real threat. No one would ever argue with you about cybersecurity, but I, I think a lot of people would be surprised to realize the different uh, the ease in which you know, and everybody thinks that their network is so so secure, mm -hmm. so so secure. And I sit there and I say to the hearing to the head of security, you get your emails on your cell phone? Oh, absolutely, I do. Well, with a drone with a with a specific spoofing device, it can now replicate your cell phone again. The old hearing days when they used to uh, um, replicate your phone. Well, he can do the same thing again with the information he's stealing from your phone, and now he's got a backdoor into your network. And any other way except with this device, because you can't get close enough, close enough. unless you have a, a a drone with a spoofing device on it that can gather that information. And your point about um speed of the travel and um, relative of quiet around the aircraft is applicable because it often goes uh, without detection. So uh, look, let's talk a little bit about um, we'll call it some of the features and why this is a technology that increasingly can pose a risk to entity. Let me see if I can summarize a few of these things and, and agree or disagree. Number one, Relatively inexpensive. Agree. Two, yeah. two highly acceptable. Three can be operated remotely, and where attribution uh, can be um, difficult. Four, expendable. If you decide to to ditch it, it's not as though you've taken a huge loss and flat investment of capital. Uh, and its ability to carry a variety of uh, additional technologies with it, whether it's high-definition cameras or the ability, as you say, to, to spoof and to mimic and to otherwise gain access to cell phone communications or broad um, systems, highly uh, important. And as Joe was also underscoring, its ability to cause of potential damage, um, acts of violence, acts of terrorism, etc. And I think, Greg, you were referencing, you know, the ability to carry five to six pounds. 
and, and that David, appear. Yeah, please, sir. Yeah, one of one of the concerns is if you look at um, security where we are today, uh, without access control, what about physical security is set up to prevent drone attacks. For instance, if you go into a Class A commercial building in New York City, you have turnstile security officers access control. None of that. That's all to uh, prevent intrusion from the ground level. Use of a drone bypasses all of that. Get right up to the 50th floor. So it's not only how easy it is to do this, but the fact that none of our security um, defenses right now are really set up for this kind of attack. And that's why drone detection is the first step. Because you can bypass everything that I've done to secure a facility with the use of an inexpensive drone. There is a $79 drone that has a 4K camera on it. I can fly it from my phone, I can fly it outside your, your boardroom, record your entire conversation, not being able to hear it, but take a video of your entire board meeting, live stream it back to my hearing, to my, my IT guys who put the uh, lip reading uh, technology to work and I just know when I went on in your thing and I'll crash my $79 uh, thing or leave it up there until the battery dries and dies and it crashes itself and who cares, I just lost 100 bucks. The ability of drone aircraft to deliver, you know, various listening devices or surveillance devices is also within the capability of this technology and also within the imagination of actors. Absolutely. So as you begin to look at this technology and glimpse into the future, my assumption here is that the aircraft will be able to go faster, fly longer, carry more, economies of scale being what they are, There'll be efficiency, so the cost will probably go way down. And they will become more popular and um, more available. And if you, use that, if you use that as a benchmark of what's to come, what needs to be the response, number one, from the government, and then number two, how institutions have to think about both the positive elements of this technology uh, but also the negative, and that includes if companies are deploying these aircraft, how how they can be hacked and otherwise turned against them or cause a uh, safety issue. And I'd also like you, if you wouldn't mind, just to focus on the fact that, at least as I've done the reading, the principal agency that's been responsible for the oversight has been the FAA, as though this is a air safety challenge when in fact you guys are bringing up a wide range of potential criminal conduct and terrorist issues, terrorism issues, that could intersect with this new technology. All right, before Joe takes over, because he's, he's the authority on, hearing on the legal aspect, let me just you know, throw this in there, and this is where the conundrum is gonna lie with the FAA. And not only does the FAA protect these things, the FCC does too, because they're flying computers. So they're, they're protected by two entities. But yet they have this monumental task of, you know, they're going to end up penalizing the average guy, okay, or 60% of these. Now, now we say 40% of them aren't registered. Probably half that number are good-intentioned souls who just never got around to it, okay? 
So they're going to, you know, they, they have this task of, okay, how do we not penalize, you know, everyday Joe from being a recreational flyer in the park on the weekends, but at the same time, how do we protect the public? How do we protect uh, private sector? How do we protect the commercial sector without infringing on the rights of the others? It's not an easy task, and I'll let Joe deal with that. <laughs> well, thanks, Greg. <laughs> you know, Dave, one of the things, and even in the future, the FAA is going to focus mainly on safety and licensing. It's very analogous to our gun, uh, gun control uh, laws. You're looking at the safety, you're looking at the, who's buying the gun, background checks, the use, you know, what they're going to use it for. That's all well and good, but it's never going to eliminate the threat. The regulations cannot eliminate the threat because the person who has nefarious intentions doesn't care. So now it behooves corporations and law enforcement to counteract this, to mitigate this threat by actually monitoring their airspace and finding out who's flying into their space, when are they flying into their space, and then handing it over to the local law enforcement or um, federal law enforcement to investigate. So unfortunately, I don't see this problem being solved through regulation because, as you know, regulations usually impact the law-abiding citizen. They're going to register. They're going to do a background check. They're going to state their intended purpose, what it's used for. Um, FAA will, con will look at safety uh, considerations, especially around airports and in big cities. Uh, that's where it's going to end. As far as protecting uh, companies and people, it's going to fall to law enforcement and it's going to fall to individual companies to monitor their airspace and then work with local law enforcement to eradicate the problem. And uh, that's, where, that's where I see this right now. And I don't think the, um, on the civilian side, we're doing enough. Uh, maybe just assume that law enforcement's doing it. Uh, like, for instance, New York City's a no-fly zone. What does that mean to someone who's looking to break the law? They don't care. So I think it's really going to um, fall on a joint effort between public and private uh, uh, enterprises to get this problem solved. One of the, the takeaway that I'm going to you know, draw from our discussion today is that this is an emerging technology around which people have to give a lot more thought. Uh, thought about both in terms of how it's used, how it can be misused, the threats that are posed, the types of regulations that are needed, and most importantly, the type of oversight and control here. And maybe not dissimilar to the events and the lessons of 9-11, which an established technology was, you know, used and perverted in a way that caused mass destruction, and then all of a sudden everything changed. Um, what I'm hearing from both of you is that in advance of a potential disaster, um, there is enough out there in terms of how these aircrafts are being used and misused that companies, you know, for their own protection have to focus, but more broadly there has to be national focus about this, um, about this technology and the ways that it could be used and the risks that are posed. Is that a fair summary? That is a fair summary, Dave, yeah. And one, you know, sort of further thought here 
uh, Greg, well, it's great for, uh, and I like the analogy as well, you know, to guns and mass violence, Joe. But um, the fact of the, the fact of the matter is that, you know, technology is quickly outpacing uh, not just regulations, but uh, if you read the 9/11 uh, report, it, it talked about it as not so much a failure of um, security as a failure of our imagination. And there were plenty of dots out there and lines to connect, but nobody did it. And so I appreciate you guys raising the issue on this podcast. Great, Dave. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If you like this content and want more, go to www.rainnetwork.com backslash join to become a RAIN member. RAIN members get exclusive access to webinars, podcasts, the daily risk book email digest, expert content, and more. So go to www.rainnetwork.com backslash join to become a RAIN member today.